The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon East, uh, Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. I think you probably know how this works by now. The driving force behind the whole thing is the accidental businessman that is Dale Vince, or the environmentalist, I guess, would be the better title. Each week we delve into those big green-based issues, the kind of stuff you should be hearing government ministers discuss on a daily basis, but for some reason seems absent from their big crib sheet. Um, Dale, morning to you. Yeah, morning, Ian. We've had a good week, haven't we? We've had an incredible week, um, a really interesting week. Lots going. I mean, there's loads to discuss this morning as well. Yeah, tons. Yeah, and we were just chatting off air about uh, your week of vegetarianism, actually. Yeah, it's been great. It's been fantastic because I like food. I'm a foodie. Um, you know, some people eat food to because they have to just – my mum was like that, you know, I need a sandwich because I've got to stay alive. Um, <laughs> yeah. As simple as that. Yeah, um, eat to live. I'm like that. I yeah, eat to live. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like just grab it and eat it and, and retain uh, the living status uh, of being a human being. But actually, I like the stuff, and I like mucking around with food and, and experimenting and, and the like. And I've never, ever needed swaying on the arguments of the health benefits of not eating meat. That, to me, is just a, that's just a fact of life. That's a given. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyone who tells you otherwise is just a stone-cold liar, basically. <laughs> However, uh, what it does do, of course, it just makes you a little bit more ambitious with food, I think. You start thinking about it. And vegetables, you know, t- I'm a big kind of, I love green beans, I love broccoli, um, uh, I love asparagus, all that kind of stuff. And it just tastes a hundredfold better yeah. when you're not eating the other stuff. Yeah, and sugar as well. We were talking about that, weren't we? When, when yeah, yeah. you don't eat sugar, your taste buds actually become alive uh, to, to you know, the sweetness of carrots, yeah. for example, uh, which, which you lose when you drown it out with artificial uh, yeah. sugar. I saw a thing when I was talking to a fellow once about the making of you know, a carton of orange juice. Because you think, well, they can't all taste. How does every carton taste the same? That's impossible. If I squeeze pure oranges into a glass, no two glasses taste quite the same. They're just a little different, some stronger, some weaker some fruitier. But of course, the, the big orange juice manufacturers, and there's a multi-billion pound business right there, they just lob a, a flavor, what are they called, a flavor stick or something into the, the, the system. So what you essentially just get is a an instant explosion of sucrose into your gob. And that uh-huh. then connects to your brain and says, mm, you're satisfied now, you've got sweetness. Yeah, I mean, that's what processed food is all about, and drowning our taste buds in excitement, whether it's sugar, fat, or salt. They're the three yeah. key ingredients of all processed food. And and they, and they make good food, normal food, taste boring, which is a bit of a crime, I think. Yeah, completely, and an utter waste as well. We'll come on to some other food elements uh, in a few moments, but let's just uh, have a look. It's been an interesting week for the government, haven't we? I mean, we can talk about Matt Hancock and David Cameron and uh, the like, but Boris Johnson, too cosy with vested interests to take action on climate change, uh, something we probably, dare I say, already knew. <laughs> yeah, I guess 
I guess we did. And, and in a way, it kind of is a good explanation for this, um, this disconnect between what the government says and what the government does. So, you know, Johnson talks a good game about uh, climate change and that kind of stuff. He, he unveiled his 10-point plan, which uh, didn't seem to have a lot of point, for example, and recycles a few spending pledges, which are tiny compared to the spending on conventional stuff. You know, and he stands aside while a new coal mine goes ahead, a third runway, and the biggest gas-fired power station in Europe, and goes even further than that and proposes cutting the tiny amount of tax on domestic flights in order to make it cheaper to fly within this huge country we live in called Britain. And yeah. so, you know, you, you've got this incredible disconnect between what they say on the one hand and what they do on the other. And, and maybe that is well explained by the fact that they are in hock to uh, big business and fossil fuel interests. But he told us this. Britain was the first major economy in the world, let alone the EU, to place upon our own shoulders a legal obligation to be carbon neutral by 2050. That will put huge strains on our system. Are you saying then, Dale, that you don't believe him? <laughs> this is Boris Johnson, isn't it? I mean, he's got form, you know what I mean? Isn't there a certain kind of... There's a certain kind of politician... Um, but there's a certain kind of particularly a conservative politician just by, by dint. It's not having a pop at the Tories. Is it? It's just by dint of the fact they've always been the party that is more associated with business who cannot get their head around that something might be greater than the business deal. They, they simply can't surmount that hurdle that there could be another way of doing something that it's possible that a, a another policy uh, could usurp whatever the business interest is. Uh, and, and they genuinely are so wedded. It's in their DNA, I think, Dale. Mm. Well, two things here, I think. One is, I think they're inherently corrupt. The story came out yesterday about a civil servant that uh, was responsible for government procurement. And while he was doing that job, he took a job with Greensill, the company that just went bankrupt that David Cameron was uh, pimping to the chancellor. Um, he took a job with them uh, and they're in the business of procurement and an incredible conflict of interest that uh, the government didn't seem to worry about. You know, I think they're inherently corrupt. I think they confuse um, business and, and making money and, and they think that, you know, making money is, is business. That's fine. But the second thing I think is this, that if we can get to a place where these people can see the environment as a business opportunity, then we're going to win. Let's have a question. Sam on Twitter said, have you slipped something into Mike Graham's coffee? I can't believe he's not doubting Seaspiracy. Uh, a great interview and love the podcast. This was last Friday, wasn't it? You were on talk radio with Mike. Because um, he, he'd seen Seaspiracy on Netflix and thought, I like this. And then realized that you were one of the producers and thought, we've got to talk about this. And he's kind of converted. Well, we had a fantastic conversation. I have to say, I shared that surprise as well. I expected him to lob in the odd hand grenade of scepticism, you know. I mean, that's uh, that's what I've experienced before. And there are people uh, questioning elements of Seaspiracy, so I expected that, but it didn't come. Uh, Mike was overwhelmingly positive about the film and the uh, the horror story that it shows about what's happening in the oceans. And he said he's not giving up fish yet, but he's kind of on the path. And I thought that was a massive thing. Um, here's another story. France banning short domestic flights. Um, and I would imagine, Dale, you would see this as incredibly good news. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. You know, and it's in stark contrast to Britain making them cheaper. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't get any doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? But what they've done is to um 
banned domestic flights where there's a train journey that can be done in two and a half hours or less, which makes a great deal of sense. And, uh, you know, and that's most of Britain, isn't it? Uh, well, you know, it's a lot of Britain. Yeah, you think so? Uh, you know, uh, but, you know, yeah, fair play to the French, I say. Uh, Mia on Facebook says, really enjoyed your interview with Krishnan on Channel 4's Ways to Change the World podcast. Um, I'm now working my way through your podcast series. What's the best advice you can give to a vegetarian like me who has long thought about going vegan? Because there's a, it's often said that the jump from vegetarian to vegan is bigger than the jump from meat eater to vegetarian. Yeah. And I don't think that it is um, because, you know, I think it boils down to milk and dairy offshoots of milk like cheese, obviously, uh, and eggs, you know, chicken periods. And if you think about these products, where they come from, what they really are and the, and the health impacts of eating them um, and, and the animal impacts as well. I don't think it's a difficult step, but also, of course, the, the alternatives now in, in the world of plant milks and cheese, uh, for example, they're fantastic and they're everywhere. So it's, I think it's easier than it's ever been to, to make that simple step and just, you know, leave dairy alone. And, did and you go straight to vegan or did you do the vegetarian thing first? Yeah, I did the vegetarian thing first, just stopped eating meat. And, you know, I didn't think there was a problem with cheese because I didn't know better, you know, yeah, didn't yeah. know how milk was made. And, I mean, it's a brutal industry, truly brutal. And uh, same, same with the egg laying industry. And I didn't know better, but when I did know better, I stopped. And, in terms of food choice, it's not a big thing to to give up, but the alternatives now also mean you don't actually have to give it up. Yeah, uh, you know, you just you just bung a plant version in. That's true. And what about it? I mean, the chicken thing seems to there's a bit of a debate there. If you have a chicken in your own back garden, it lays eggs. The chicken doesn't die, so why can't you eat the egg? I I wouldn't say anybody can't eat the egg. Um, for me, it's just a revolting concept, actually, to yeah, eat yeah. this egg that comes out of a chicken's butt. Um, you know, I mean, like who, who wants to do that? Yeah. Uh, but it is a victimless crime, you could say, because chickens will just lay eggs anyway. And then there's the we, we talked about the, the the roadkill thing, which you know there are a couple of uh, kind of people who live off the land, nomadic characters that live in woods and tents, and they do exist in very small numbers in this country. But you know, won't eat meat. But if there's a rabbit that's been hit by a car, they they will eat that because that doesn't come under the same category I, I know you wouldn't do that because you're back to the what you find unpalatable but is there in principle anything wrong with that no i don't think so because again it's a victimless crime um for me it would be unpalatable and you know i'd i i'd find the idea just just so grim you know i couldn't swallow i might be able to chew but i couldn't swallow i don't think i could even chew it actually um but that's that's just where i am but i don't think there's any harm in red but at the same time, there's not a lot of um, not a lot of point in it in a way. I mean, it's not an answer to this issue of having to give up eating animals. It's just a kind of very niche, very fringe thing that a handful of people do. And yeah, who cares? I say good luck. Can you remember the last time that you do you remember the last piece of meat you ate? I mean, was there a moment when you said, right, that's it. None of this old shit anymore. <laughs> no, I don't remember it. I would have been a teenager, definitely, because it was the moment I left home that yeah. I just never ate it again because I was buying my own food and, and the choice was then in my hands completely. Uh, what about this then? On a, a connected theme, a vegan student completing an animal management course claims she was told she would need to visit a farm or fail. Um, she said that she complained undertaking the farming unit as part of the uh, the national qualifications course was incompatible with her beliefs. 
Yeah, I just heard this story this morning, and my first reaction was, what's a vegan doing on an animal husbandry course? You know, I mean, I have no idea. Um, and my second thought was, look, actually, uh, everybody sh should be made to visit an abattoir before they're allowed to eat meat. Actually, yep. should be that way around. Fair point. Uh, Laura on Twitter, will you be looking for more land for nature after you've helped with the RSPB? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we did our first rewilding project about 20 years ago. We've got a second piece of land that we're lining up to do something with and we're scouting at the moment for other projects that we can get involved in uh so yeah i mean i think it's going to be the kind of next big thing that i get into rewilding i'm, I'm really uh, quite excited about it and and quite uh, quite passionate about yeah. were you out doing something this week rewilding wise oh yeah we popped down to the new forest um with the express and and the rspb and we visited horse common this piece of land that we're trying to buy in conjunction with the express for the rspb and uh, we shot some videos and visited the site, just kind of got a feel for what's going to happen there. It's fantastic. So we're going to post some videos tomorrow, actually, uh, around that. Good work. Um, now let's talk about food. Uh, seagrass. You and I had a, a brief conversation on, on email last night uh, about this because I hear of seagrass. I don't really know much about it, but it's being called the rice of the sea. Yeah, I mean, this element of seagrass is new to me. Seagrass is new to me anyway. I bumped into it just a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, it looks like a, a kind of seaborne version of, of land rewilding. The idea of sowing seagrass around the coast of Britain, for example, and, you know, all coasts around the world is a fantastic plant uh, and creates awesome habitats. And, you know, it's like really exciting in its own right. But this chef in Spain has gone further and he's um, he spent a lot of time uh, cultivating seagrass and creating recipes and he's also done some kind of analysis of the nutritional benefits of the rice or the grain that grows at the base of seagrass and basically uh, it turns out it's an amazing food source it's got twice the protein content of rice uh, it's, it's got half the yield per hectare but you put nothing into it no pesticides no fertilizers no irrigation you just plant it he's done it in a an old salt marsh and the, the seagrass has, has absolutely brought the environment back to life with seahorses and scallops and all kinds of stuff. And so it just looks like an amazing opportunity to feed the world. Also, seagrass at the moment absorbs 10% of the ocean's carbon, but it only covers 0.2% of the, of the area of the ocean. So it really is outperforming everything else. It's got something like 35 times the capacity of absorbing carbon than a rainforest has. So, it, you know, it just looks like a, a, a wonder food and and tool for fighting the climate crisis and rewilding the oceans. That's incredible. You know, what's not to like that phrase? Yeah. What's not to like? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The perfect, the perfect entity to be uh, discussing, and, and, and hopefully we'll hear more about it as well. Yeah, I, mean, I just think it's amazing. And I don't know if there was a typo in the article I read, but uh, this guy's based in uh, Cadiz, and uh, it said that there was only four square meters of seagrass left in the entire bay. That, that sounds too small to be feasible, but... You know, it's in decline all around the world. And, uh, you know, bringing it back is a great rewilding thing. And if we can feed ourselves as well uh, and absorb carbon, I mean, as you say, yeah, what's not to like? It's super exciting. I want to get to Spain now and try it. Yeah, absolutely. I spotted this one on, on Twitter from a, a, a Tranmere Rovers fan uh, who said, knowing Dale Vince, he'll hire someone with success on the football manager game for his club. Football's biggest joke. I don't know if he's talking about you or the or the game. <laughs> I've no idea either. I have no idea. But you look. You don't I mean, have a term either way, to be honest. Um, what, what, what's he referring to here? 
we ended our uh, our time with our with our head coach last week. We'd been together five years. Uh, we had a four game back to back defeat. Um, you know, in ten games, we've slidden from uh, you know nearly the top of the league to nearly being dumped out of the playoffs. And and you know, his contract ran out in the summer anyway. So all these elements were in the mix of our thinking at the weekend. Yeah. We've got six games to go to save our season. So we said, look, let's just call time early, about a month early, and um, let's get a new head coach because you know the one thing. That, that uh, you can almost count on in football is that when you change your coach, you get a bit of a lift out of your team. It's like starting with a slightly blank sheet of paper. You you ease all of the kind of uh, tensions and pressures that may have existed before in, in a team. You know, often it's the it's the last thing you can do to improve performance. So we took that option and we're recruiting now and we've got about 100 CVs to choose from. I don't think I've seen one from somebody that plays football manager, by the way. Um, I did see a story in The Guardian that, that, you know, could it be that you appoint the first female manager? Yeah, absolutely it could. I mean, we had a couple of, uh, well, one in particular, great CV in uh, on that front. Uh, Turns out that it wasn't sent uh, with the knowledge of the person involved. We've had a good conversation about that. Uh, but we were super excited about that, um, and and I think uh, it could well have happened. But we've got um, yeah, a hundred in total. I think later today we're going to create a short list of ten, and uh, by by this time next week we should be down to a proper short list of three, and um, we see where we land. But in the meantime, we've got a guy called Jimmy Ball from our under 18s taking the uh, taking the team for the next six games. And uh, you know we're we're in a good place. We've we've it's a shot to nothing for us. You know our form has been so awful; uh, it can't get worse. And um, what happens there? Because you know we all you know, if you follow for, whether you're a Chelsea fan, Forest Green, whoever you follow, you think, hang on a second, why did I watch a team do this for several weeks and then stopped doing this for several weeks? What 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 do you think happens there? Well, I think I mean that's the million dollar question of football. You know that's. The, the magic of coaching and and running a running a club and and setting a team up on a match day to get a result because you've got so many variables you've got variables within your own squad yep. uh, the team that you're facing as well uh, you've got injuries you've got events on the day that you can't control like referee decisions and, and injuries in fact True. um you know there are just so many variables in football which is why it's you know yeah, yeah. Pr- pretty unpredictable and um and it's so engaging i think to so many people Let's talk paint, because uh, I saw this story. I just thought this was incredible. Um, the whitest ever paint has been produced. And I saw that. I thought, well, that's incredible. The whitest ever. You know, white isn't white. There are gradients of white. But actually, there's an environmental um, imperative to this story. Yeah, it's whiter than snow, apparently. And it's being touted as a, as a material we can use to paint roofs. I mean, roofs are painted white anyway at the moment to reflect sunlight but this has special properties it doesn't just reflect sunlight it reflects uv and so a conventionally white painted roof cannot be cooler than the ambient temperature due to the painting of of the roof but with this paint it can be and uh, the calculations these guys have made show that uh, on a on a typical house, if you paint the roof white, you get a cooling effect equivalent to ten yeah. kilowatts of air conditioning, uh, which is a which is a massive air conditioner for yeah, yeah. for a domestic house. So it's like a, a super exciting uh, prospect, actually, sure. a, a fairly kind of I was going to say natural way to to cool buildings, but uh, compared to burning energy, it, it will be. And estimates of the global potential uh, are somewhere around six hundred million tons of CO two a year 
saved by um, by painting roofs white with this new paint. Huge difference. Uh, final question. It's back to football. Austin on Facebook, another podcast fan from the States. He says, I'm a Forest Green Rovers supporter in Ohio. Uh, please give me some hope for the rest of our season, please. Well, you've kind of touched on that. And maybe uh, Jimmy is the man to to instill some of that hope. Let's put all the pressure onto him. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jimmy, Jimmy's having a good time. He's not feeling the pressure. Uh, you know, he's got a great opportunity, the same as we have. You know, we've all got a shot to nothing here. And, uh, and this is the best thing that we could do. And, uh, you know, we've seen a reaction on the training ground already. We've still got the, you know, the same players that got us to where we are, you know, up at the top end of the yeah. league. They're still here. That hasn't changed. You know, something has. And uh, this way, hopefully, we can we can just push all that to one side and play good football, get some results. And uh, we've still got a shot at promotion. Good work. Um, that's it from this episode. Um, have a cracking week, Dale. We'll, we'll speak in seven days. Brilliant. Thanks, Ian. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider. That means you get each new episode automatically. It just drops straight into your system on a weekly basis. Do leave a review there as well. It's always rather helpful. You can get in touch. Zero Carbonista at ecotricity.co.uk or via social media. And make sure you're following Dale on social media, which is twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero carbon east off.